So I don't forget, after they just sang the song, to remember it's Jesus' birthday. We have a, a birthday celebration, if you will, uh, after church with, uh, uh, for Jesus, uh, celebrating his birthday in the fellowship room with refreshments and all. And we invite you to participate in that after the service if you have time. So uh, this morning, uh, let's, uh, as we go into the Word, let's open, go again and pray together. Father, we come, as we open Your Word, we ask through Your Holy Spirit You would open our minds and our hearts to You to receive. I, I know as often as we, we read the Word, same passages can have different things that they, they, they come to bring to understanding. And so we ask this morning that even though these are familiar passages, You would put them together in such a way that they would have freshness to them for us. And we ask, Lord, that You would... Uh, uh, just go with us as we hear the Word and cause it to change our lives that we might be used by You to change others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been having a series basically that you know Jesus is better than Santa Claus. Okay? And I'm cautious you know, as to how I, I deal with all of this in the sense that... Uh, uh, you know, people say, is it wrong to participate with the idea of Santa Claus? And, this, and you can go online and, and have different pastors of, uh, uh, of large congregations with many different opinions as to how to go about it. For me, it's simply to understand that there is a legend of a person called St. Nicholas. And today, we celebrate him with and, and we celebrate him in a, in a legendary sort of way with Santa Claus. Santa being uh, the word for saint in Latin, and Claus uh, referring to Nicholas. Is an, it's a name for Nicholas. And so we say Santa Claus. Now, as to all of the folklore that goes with Santa Claus, the majority of that stuff has come up over the last couple of centuries, but really the majority of the stuff that we look at today that's so commercialized and so much caused us to come up with things like this, Jesus is the reason for the season, is because of the commercialization side of this. And so we want to make sure that people understand as we share Christmas that Jesus is the focal point. If there were no Christ, there would be no Christmas. There would, you know, it would, you know, people would have other holidays and other times of the year that they might do gifts and things like that, but it wouldn't be because of Christ. We have Jesus Christ. And we look at it and celebrate more than what we can do with each other, the idea of coming together as family and acknowledging Jesus Christ and the gift He has given us and be thankful. So, we... We had a series of sermons here. Jesus sees us and knows us. Of course, you know, the Santa Claus song, uh, Santa's Coming to Town, uh, written in 1934, I think it was, was first heard on Eddie Cantor's radio show. 
became very popular. Literally hundreds of thousands of sheets of music were sold within weeks after that for that song. And it became the symbol of the commercial Santa Claus. And so, uh, you know, it says that he knows when we are what? Sleeping, and he knows when we're awake, this type of thing. In other words, Jesus, know, uh, Santa knows all. Well, that's beginning to ascribe to Santa things that belong to God. And so I'm cautious when I approach that and make sure that we, we see that clearly. Jesus is the one who sees us and knows us intimately. And, you know, the song says that he's keeping a list and checking it twice. Well, Jesus has a list also. He knows what we've done wrong. But he's done something with that list. For all who have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior, believing in their heart that he's the Son of God, that list has been what? Nailed to the cross. And so, that's what happens to our list. Better be good better for goodness sake and, and, and better not cry, better not pout and all of that that goes on there. Well, I will tell you that Jesus cares about our behavior also. But He cares more about our hearts and the condition of our hearts towards Him. And He allows that with the incoming of the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus as our Savior to become the thing that begins to guide the change in our behavior. Not because we're going to get some Christmas gift, but because Jesus has saved us and we want to show our love for Him by changing the way we are. So, these are the things that we've looked at over the last few weeks. Today is Jesus is coming to town. And... uh, I looked at this, and I'm thinking, you know, the first question I asked was, which town? Whose town? When? Where? Why? All those different questions we're supposed to ask when we're trying to put something together. And I realized that I'm looking at a past, present, and future context when I say Jesus is coming to town. If I look at the... Gospels and looking in the past, Jesus, uh, well, first, obviously, what's the, the, the first town he came to? Now, somebody's going to say Bethlehem, but that's not where he was conceived. Where was he conceived? Nazareth, okay? Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and other cities that he preached and taught in that he came to. Uh, Bethsaida, Cana, Nazareth, uh, Bethany, Jericho, Capernaum. All these different places that he came to. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 1 and 2, it talks about him coming to Capernaum. That was about the time he was starting his ministry. And so I wanted to look at those just real quickly. It's not uh, going to be a lengthy part of what I have to share with you this morning. But uh, just uh, the fact that he comes to and what happens when he comes to Capernaum. And so uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's t- 
telling you something right there. There's a declaration there of who Jesus is. And who is it but the enemy of God through, through Satan, the demonic, who recognizes Him and knows Him. And the unclean spirit... Uh, and so, But Jesus uh, rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. Notice how that is rephrased. It's not a new teaching with authority. It's a new teaching with authority. They understood something amazing was happening. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, Capernaum is on the Via Maris, which is a road that connects clear up from Damascus and ultimately goes down over to Gaza on the coast through, through the north side of Galilee, Capernaum being on that route, and all the way down into uh, North Africa. So it's... it's a long road that the Romans have put in. It's called the Via Maris. And so, isn't it interesting? You, you, you look at Capernaum. Why did he pick Capernaum to be this open spot where he would begin to put it out as to the, the, what he was there for in his teachings? Capernaum had maybe, maybe 1,200 people. It wasn't a small city per se, uh, but it was still, compared to Jerusalem and uh, Damascus and other places, it wasn't very big. But it's centrically located. From there, I can, I can just imagine all the things that happened. People talking about this Jesus who delivered a man from a demonic spirit and was teaching with authority and people going up towards Damascus and people going down towards Ethiopia and in either direction. By the way, the Ethiopian eunuch, that, that, was, that happened on this same highway. Uh, the, the, the encounter on the road to Emmaus is in the same jurisdiction. So all of these people are beginning to, to, to... The word's going to spread quickly. And so they're amazed with his teaching. Look at chapter 2 in Mark. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, he he'd left for a little bit and he came back, uh, and, and some days it was reported that he was at home. This was where he made his headquarters for a while. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the Word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, I want you to get that picture of this. This would be like this room being so crowded, standing room only, and people standing in the... the uh, opening way over there in the entryway and packed out the door and even standing outside. People heard this guy teaching with authority that cast out demons is coming back and he's teaching again. There's an interesting response going on here. They're hearing something from him. Jesus has come to town and he's teaching and preaching something that they want to hear. And so... Uh, he was preaching the Word to them. Now, the Word is referring to the Old Testament. Okay, but what is he preaching? And you start to think about what Scriptures he might be preaching. And I'm thinking the same Scriptures that he probably would be sharing later, like on the road to Emmaus. All the Scriptures that were pointing to what? The coming of the Christ. And there's no shortage of those in the Old Testament. Well, over 300. 
And they came bringing to Him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Him because of the crowd, what they did is they went up the steps, which was not uncommon in those homes, outside and came onto the roof. And they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. His first really direct statement about His authority and and who He is. Son, your sins are forgiven. We don't know how old this paralytic was. It says man. Jesus was not very old Himself. But... Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They weren't catching the drift of the teaching in this new, with authority that was going on. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they had questioned Him within themselves, said to them, now notice, they, did they say this out loud? How were they questioning it? It said, in their hearts. They hadn't said anything out loud. It doesn't indicate that at all. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Let's put it to the test here. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. What I'm suggesting is everywhere that Jesus went, when He came to town, amazing things were happening. Even when He was out in the field someplace, like the Sermon on the Mount, amazing things were happening. You start to look at all these different places, like I said, the different cities and the different areas. Over 20 cities and and designated areas mentioned in the Gospels of where Jesus was that He taught. And, and, And then a generality that says, and he taught in the towns and the villages. <laughs> so it, it, he was everywhere he went, he would go and he would teach. And if there was if the city was big enough to to have a synagogue like Capernaum, that's where he would start. Now he might not always stay in the synagogue because he might not be welcome, which is an interesting thing to think about. Our focus then, as we look at this, at Christmas time is we realize the different places that Jesus came to. And I already mentioned, you know, you know Nazareth, where, where He was conceived. Uh, Bethlehem, where He was born. Uh, Jerusalem, where He was uh, brought on the eighth day, where He was at twelve. And probably more frequently than that, over the years. And then the, 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 at uh, His death. And so we look at Christmas and Easter. By the way, it's hard to separate the two. So many times I've, I've heard messages over the years where Christmas is separated from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scripture does not think that way. 
The Greek would not think that way. A Hebrew would not think that way. They would think in the context of the whole. By the way, that I've, I've drawn your attention to it before. Our, unto us a child is born. You notice the star forming the, 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 the shape of a cross in there so that we're reminded that even going back to Isaiah, Decades, you know, centuries before Christ, the cross was in the picture. You see, the cross, according to Ephesians, was in the picture before the foundation of the world. And even on that over there, you'll notice on Mary's robe, there's a couple of crosses. Uh, not all of them, some of them look like stars, but a couple of them are crosses. The, the 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 people that did that under you know had some kind of an understanding of the fact that at his birth the cross was part of the picture i want to 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 look at this and say you know jesus came into the world to have fellowship with us, to bring us into a relationship with God. What was the problem? Why couldn't we have this relationship with God? And if you were to go to 1 Peter uh, in chapter 1, or you can go back in several passages in, in Leviticus, and we are instructed to be holy as God is holy in order to approach Him. As a result... Only the person that can approach the God in any proximity of, 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 of relationship was the high priest. And that only once a year. And he brought offerings for himself and offerings for the people. And they were blood offerings. And people say, how, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine these blood offerings. But we, the, the teaching was is so that we would understand the penalty of sin is death. There is no pain of, for the sins without the shedding of blood. And it's a picture of what we will have to do, theoretically, is to, to, is to forfeit our own life to, to judgment. We need to be saved. And so how do we do that? We come, and back in the Old Testament, they, they came realizing, we can't do this on our own. That was the whole purpose of the law, was to teach them they couldn't do it on their own. And so they came through the priests, they came through the, the temple, they came through all of the things that God put together to pre-picture, if you will, Jesus Christ. Be holy, for I am holy, God says. What's the problem? We have sin. If you look on the back of our bulletin, we have the, the, the Roman road uh, written out. And... Uh, it's, I, I, I wrote on the top of mine for today's, uh, just be holy as I am holy, Leviticus and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And the problem is, and we've listed it here, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah says that all have, uh, all have strayed, all have gone the, uh, their own way. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And in that death, it means separation from God. Not to be allowed to come face to face.
verse uh, 8 of chapter 5, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Death loses its sting, according to Paul's writing. We sang it this morning. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In other words, it's not a private thing. Some people say, you know, you're, you know, I, I keep my my faith to myself, you know, this type of thing. It's my words, my the the, the changing of who I am. Uh, I recall my my uh, uncle, and I've shared this a few times before, at at a a funeral service in our family, uh, and I was sharing the things about heaven and stuff like that. He was trying to figure out why Bobby was in this and what he was going to get out of it. What's this ministry preaching stuff? What's, what's his goal? Because of the person I was growing up that he remembered. When my, when my dad passed away and I did his funeral, my uncle came up to me and he says, you really believe all of this, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. We all have a testimony of what Christ has done. If we don't have a testimony, we need to examine if we have a relationship. Because the relationship, if it's there, will begin to change who you are. How you think. And we rest with this one truth going back to Romans 6.23. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The problem? Sin. My sin. Your sin. Our sin. The solution? Jesus Christ on the cross. His death, His burial, His resurrection, proving that He had the authority to say, your sins are forgiven. How are we holy? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are allowed to approach the throne of God in our prayers, in our worship, in our joy, in our grief, we're allowed to approach the throne of God. Isaiah, uh, you know, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, his name is Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And we have that picture of, of who Jesus is according to what He would say. Emmanuel. God is with us. With us. That's the meaning for the word Emmanuel. God is with us. In Isaiah 7.14, tells us that a virgin will be with child. In Isaiah 53, it tells us of the suffering servant. The one who will be pierced for our transgressions. Wounded for our iniquity. I believe those might have been some of the Scriptures that Jesus was sharing and teaching on. Jesus came at just the perfect time. Paul says in, 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 in Galatians, and in, in, in just at the right time, Jesus came. 
Now, I've heard people preach that if Jesus really wanted to reach the world, why did He come back then? Why didn't He come now when we have the internet and all this kind of stuff? It's an amazing thing. He's all over the internet. He came at just the right time. God is with us. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that He emptied Himself and became a man, even the servant of men, even to the point of death on the cross. Humble servant. If you go on in Philippians chapter 2, it also says that He was exalted and lifted high. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's known as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is here now. He he came, but He's still with us today. In all the teachings through John, if you read through in chapter 7 and chapter 14 and different places through the Gospel of John, it's, it's very clear He speaks about the gift of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come for us and to be there for us. And it's interesting. The the Holy Spirit doesn't rest outside of us. It's not like we we can grasp a hold of it this way somehow or, or picture it somehow as a part of... He comes and indwells us, Jesus says. And we see... The result of that initially in Acts chapter 2. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens and the church gets its thrust of, of, of its beginning. Acts chapter 2, it says the Holy Spirit was came to them first in the upper room and then uh, Peter preaches the gospel, and then the conclusion of the of the gospel, it says people were amazed, and it says over three thousand came to know Jesus this way as Savior that day, and more were added daily as they continued to not only have God in them, but to preach God as well, and to share what God was doing in their lives. He is present today. He is with us all. Look, I I, I would read from the the book of Ephesians uh, quickly this this morning. Um, Got so many little markers in here that I flipping the wrong one. I'll just do it this way. There we go. In Ephesians chapter one, uh, and and the reason why I want to go there is he continues. You know, and he's and he's coming. And I, the question is, who is he is, is he coming for? Today, when he comes, who is he coming for? And when his church comes again, when he returns and comes again, who is he coming for? His church, his elect. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many things in the way of blessings? Has God withheld from us? None. 
Now, I have to confess, I'm not aware of all the blessings. I'm convinced that there's going to be a few things when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Blessings that I missed and never even said thank you for because I didn't see them. I thought maybe I'd done it on my own. But the reality that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, anything we need to draw into His presence, He has provided. And we can rest with confidence in that. Anything He has called us to do for Him, He has provided the means for that to happen. And so even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Again, how are we holy and blameless? Through the blood of Christ, confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing in our heart who He is and confessing with our mouth what He is and what He's done for us. He has predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. This is God's purpose. This is what God wants. His will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Referring to Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. We see the the, the past, present, future all tied up into that. That what God is doing In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, uh, when you heard this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire Possession of it to the praise of His glory. It's already ours. In a sense, we can catch a glimpse of it. And so it's kind of one of those already not yet pictures of the, of the Scripture. We already have it, but we haven't yet touched it fully. I mentioned that He's you know, this picture that He is coming again, we first get a, 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 a full glimpse of that in Matthew chapter 24. His coming again. And question marks as to whether that meant uh, the you know different things of, as to when it applied in history. But the general picture is the second coming of Christ, I believe, in, in Matthew 24. And in verses 29 through 31, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why will the tribes of the earth mourn? All who have not received or have rejected Christ. People say, well, well they, did they have a chance? I am absolutely positive with all positiveness. <laughs> at any point, at any place where there has been a tribe of people or a group of people who have desired to know God in their heart, 
God has opened the door for them. We have seen missionaries go into places and have them received immediately. Like, we've been waiting for you. We've never heard what you've got to share, but we've been waiting for you. And they're ready to receive from God. A picture I've shared many times of a girl sitting in, in, just leaving school uh, in China. And, it's, and, and their school was the military uh, type of, of, of academic school and, and, and this type of thing. And they talked about creation. They talked about things. They talked about religion being an, uh, a, not a good thing. That it was a detour in man's thinking and, and this type of thing. And she walks away and she's looking at, at, at things and she's sitting by the, the river of her little town and she's looking around and she's looking at all that, that, that she sees and she says, how can there not be an intelligent person behind all of this? Guess what happens next? Pages of a Bible float down the river and she retrieves them and finds a personal relationship with the Lord. I heard her testimony. Somebody says, well, how did that happen? The village up above the, above, upstream from there had been raided. They found a Christian group. They threw their Bibles into the river. She accepts the Lord. I'm convinced God will do it. He's coming again for His church, for His elect. says that he will gather his elect. Uh, again, here in, in, in Matthew, it's reading, Then will appear in the sign of the Son of Man, and the, and the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the heaven to the earth. To, uh, to, you know, from all edges of the earth, he will gather his elect. And I was thinking as I was looking at this, you know, if you, if you want to think about the comparison about Santa and, 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 and Jesus, Santa comes stealth. He comes quietly. Nobody's supposed to see him. You better be asleep if you're awake. <laughs> you know, this type of thing. Jesus comes with a loud trumpet. He, he's to be seen. He's to be heard. He's to be known. And those of us who know Him are waiting for Him. We're not hiding under the table when He comes. We're dancing on the top. The world that rejected Him will be hiding under the tables. They'll be desiring the rocks of the cliffs to fall on them. But we will be standing in joy. We will be in you know, great joy. And, 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 and it's just an amazing thing to think. You know, it's, it's a powerful picture of what God is doing for us. What I read this morning to the children, I bring you good news of great joy. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. And it comes back again to how do you please Him? Romans 10, 8, 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe in your heart that He is, is the Son of God. God raised Him from the dead. These are the things, if you do this, this is how you have great joy and peace with God. Peace on earth. I don't know how many times uh, I've, I've, I've heard you know, people, you know, and you see even Christmas cards of peace on earth, the, idea, the desire of somehow initiating global peace. 
And I remember the Imperials having a song, uh, there, there, there will not be peace until Jesus Christ sits at the conference table. Well, that's the end of time. That's when peace will come. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the reality is we're not talking about peace on earth. We're talking about peace between man and God, between ourselves and God, between you and God, between me and God. Are we at peace? How are we at peace? We have confessed and we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, raised from the dead. Jesus has come. He is here. And He is coming again. So when you have this, you know, Jesus is coming to town, that's like I said, how do I tell you when? It's, 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 at which, which point do you want to talk about? So I tried to condense it all into one picture here this morning. But Revelation 22.20 20, uh, is an interesting passage. So it's the, the last, next to the last Scripture of the, of, of the, the New Testament, of, of the Bible. And, and uh, John is being spoken to. And, and uh, he who testifies that he is Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. And then John writes, Amen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Where does that sound familiar? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we look around and people have, have, uh, have thought at different times because they've seen the condition of the world, World War I, World War II, you know, uh, all different times and places through history uh, where there's been great chaos in the world. People say, this must be it. They sell all they have. They move to hilltops and wait for the Lord to come, this type of thing. And it says, we're not going to know when it happens. We're not going to have, we're just to be ready in and out of season. No matter what's going on around us, we're to be ready for Him to come. How are we ready? Confess, believe. It's not how perfect you are, because if it is, you're done. It's resting in His holiness. Confess and believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. And again, His timing is perfect. When He comes the second time, it will be because the last person that needed to hear the Gospel has heard it. Whoever that is, wherever that is. Peter says, you know, we're in a hurry. Soon to God is different than soon to us. In fact, I have to confess, soon for me is yesterday. I am impatient. I want, I want things done. I, I, I get frustrated even when I, on my own projects when I think of what I have to do still. I wished I had worked on it yesterday. Uh, that type of thing. And, and I realize, you know, I want it done. You know, soon for God is, is, is soon an equivalent for someone who is eternal with no beginning and no end. So Peter gives us a picture of what soon is. A, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. He is going to come again. But guess what? For every one of us in this room, He is coming again sooner than that. 
I look at three score and ten and finally reached that number. And I'm thinking in terms of, oh my goodness, you know, I am, I, I've li- outlived both of my, my father and my stepfather and I'm close to outliving my mom. And I'm thinking, I am blessed. By the way, three score and ten is the average lifespan that, that God says to man. My grandfather always said, if you uh, reach three score and ten, male or female, you start bragging about your age because God has blessed you. Um, I didn't understand that until I became a Christian. Uh, Jesus has come. He is here. He's coming again. Uh, And what sort of people should we be until He comes? We should be a people who are looking for Him, worshiping Him, reading His Word, and desiring that the Holy Spirit who indwells us, God in us, will change us. And the longer we go, I find that some of the things are more difficult than I thought they were going to be. Have you ever had that feeling? As, you know, by the time I'm a, been a Christian 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, you're going to say it should get easier? It's an amazing thing. And the reason for it, and I've shared this many times with you, and I'm a picture person. I have a rough time reading. My, I, 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 I have some issues with my brain. And, and so, uh, uh, as a result, you know, it, 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 it's, it's difficult for me. But the idea is, is to, to look at this and, and, and realize that as, as we... Oh, I forgot. I've just lost my place. I don't know where I was. I, I just went blank on that, so I apologize for that. We'll go back to this. Second Peter also says he's coming, how? As a thief. In the night. How does a thief come in the night? Does he knock on your door and announce that he's coming? He, you know, he's, all of a sudden he's there. I don't know if any of you have ever had a break and entry into your, into your home. Uh, I haven't while I'm there. I, you know, uh, you know, but uh, it, 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 I've had my car broken into. An entry. In fact, Kathy's car got broken into and, and the seat was pushed way back and laid down. Somebody slept in it all night apparently. Uh, you know, uh, you feel invaded, you know, this type of thing. You don't know when they're coming. But in this case, the thief in the night is simply a metaphor for the reality that it can happen when you, what? Least expect it, when you're not prepared. Meaning you don't have a chance to get around to saying, oh, and Lord, it's too late. So when we come to Christmas and we look at it, we think, how should we be? Well, we should be those who are looking to see Christ face to face and desiring that, wanting that, and asking the Holy Spirit to prepare us for that. Using His Word, using our gatherings like this, using gatherings together in Bible study, all the different ways that we can come and, and, and hear and get close to Jesus Christ and each other. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body of Christ. The last thing I wrote on this note was Merry Christmas. But I 
realized one more thing, and I wanted to share it this way. I don't know how many of you are familiar with a, a, a resource online. It's called gotquestions.org. I've got access first to it when we were at a ministry seminar down in Southern California several years ago. And one of the teachers in one of the classes talked about it. And, and since then I've drawn from it many, many times. And this is the question. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? Answer. Of all the gifts, gifts, God has given us, okay, given to mankind by God, there is none greater than the, per, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has many functions, roles, and activities. First, He does the work in the hearts of all people everywhere. Jesus told the disciples that He would send the Spirit into the world to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. John chapter 16. Everyone has a good uh, a God consciousness, whether or not they admit it. The Spirit applies the truths of God to the minds of men to convince them by fair and sufficient arguments that they are sinners. Responding to that conviction brings men to salvation. Once we are saved and belong to God, the Spirit takes up residence in our hearts forever, sealing us with the confirming, uh, certifying, and assuring pledge of our eternal state as His children. Jesus said He would send the Spirit to us to be our helper, comforter, and guide. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. John chapter 14. The Greek word translated here, a counselor, means one who is called alongside and has the idea of someone who encourages and exhorts. The Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in the hearts of believers. Jesus gave the Spirit as a compensation for His absence to perform the functions towards us which He would have done if He had remained personally with us. In other words, God in us. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in us. God in us. There's more that He wrote, but I just want you to have that confidence as we approach Christmas. Christmas may or may not be the day Jesus was born. Now, there's a lot of scholars that have a lot of different opinions and different things. I, for one, believe that the, the and what I learned from some of the teachers that were my mentors, that based on what they can do and, and Pilate and his time and when he comes into being the governor and, and, and later on and King Herod and all the different things that go around that, that very likely we have it pretty close. Jesus didn't, you know, God didn't really intend for us to have a particular day. I know that that sounds almost blasphemous to so. But there's nothing wrong with taking a day and saying, we specially think of Christ this day. He was born. He emptied Himself, came into this world to become a servant who would die on the cross for my sins. Please tie it all together. Don't let it separate out and just look at the baby in the manger and, and, and adore Him. Worship Him for who He is, what He has done, and what He is yet going to do. Now I can say Merry Christmas. Uh, as we go into communion, uh, we're, we're talking about, as we tie all of this together, that picture, like I said up here, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and yet in the background is the picture of the cross. 
That was the whole purpose. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says, that was the plan. That Jesus would come and deliver us from our sins. Place His holiness over us in such a way that we can approach the throne of God and receive His grace and His mercy with confidence. Isn't that amazing? The God of all creation, holy God of all creation, receives us through the blood of Christ and we can come there with confidence that He has done in doing that. And in communion we celebrate how that happened. The shedding of blood, the death on the cross. So I'd ask the ushers to come pass out the communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.